All right, good evening. I appreciate uh, everybody joining in with us this evening. We've got a good group uh, here in the room with us, and I think we've got some more folks on their way. So well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Welcome to everybody who's joining with us online as well. Um, let's pray. We'll do a little bit of introduction and review and then get right into the class uh, for today. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for all that you have in store for us. And Lord, I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention. I know, Father, that uh, a lot of the people that are part of this class have had a very busy day already and, uh, Lord, maybe a little weary uh, in body and mind, but I thank you, Lord, for just uh, your strength from inside of us, Lord, that's helping us uh, to lay hold of some things. Lord, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit tonight as our teacher. I thank you, Father, that we hear His voice, we know Him, and we follow Him as He speaks to us tonight. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that your Word is what makes the difference in our lives, and your Word is truth. It's the highest uh, level of reality. And so, Lord, I thank you for helping us tonight cut through all the lies and deception and lay hold of the truth that you have prepared for us. Lord, thank you for every person that's a part of this class right now, those that are uh, here in person, those that are joining us online. Uh, I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in their lives, and I thank you for what you're doing through their lives. So, Lord, thank you for your blessing upon us now. Help us, Lord, as we uh, dig into the truth that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So let me put the title slide uh, for tonight's uh, class. And I keep saying tonight, I've I, I got to correct myself on that, and it's hard for me. Uh, when you do something for 18 years, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to change the uh, the term because I know for some of you it's not night you're on the other side of the world or what have you and so uh, but it's five o'clock in the evening here where we are uh, teaching and recording this now so but uh, today's class is class number four and we're going to uh, talk a little more about introduction to discipleship where we've been given an overview of discipleship and then we're going uh, to transition over into what the Bible calls the work of the ministry so introduction to discipleship part four and uh, the work of the ministry. So let me, if I could, very quickly uh, do some reviewing. If this is your first class, uh, we have recorded the previous three, and there are things that we've talked about there uh, that we will build on tonight. So you may want to uh, go back and access those classes. It's, it's free. It's no charge. Uh, you can do that on the church website, uh, hccnow.org, on my Facebook, Mark Winslet. That's Winslet with two Ts. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways you can access that. If you have any uh, issues with it, please uh, contact me, mark at hccnow.org, and we will get you hooked up with um, the previous three classes. Also, I've had some folks ask that are watching uh, and taking the, the, the classes online, and they're asking about attendance. And so it's, it's honor system. I know that, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, you ought to require something more than that, but we trust you. Amen. If, if you... If you want to cheat to get a discipleship certificate, anyway, I don't know what to say about that, so I won't even say anything about it. So, but uh, but it, it is honor system, and if you want to, sometimes people send me a text, or they will, if they watch the class on Facebook, they'll uh, you know send me some kind of comment or something on to let me know that they're watching, they're tuning in. Uh, so again, you you can do that, or just when we get towards the end, I'll ask if you've com you know completed 30 out of 36 classes and would like a certificate, then to reach out to me. So. But I want to uh, just very quickly go through some of the key points that we've covered already uh, in previous classes, basically giving an, an overview of, of what uh, discipleship uh, actually is. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's do that now. One of the first things that we said about discipleship, discipleship is about discovering and fulfilling your God-given destiny. 
Discipleship is about discovering and fulfilling your God-given destiny. So we're talking about something that's pretty important here. We're, we're talking about something that uh, is as important as you know, your existence. So again, something that we should be uh, very interested in. The next thing we said is that representing Jesus in life and in ministry to others is the end goal of discipleship. And I know that the word represent does not have a hyphen in it, but I do that to emphasize that we're talking about literally presenting Him again, representing Jesus in life and in ministry to others is the end goal of discipleship. We also talked extensively about this, but we said the yoke is to discipleship what the cross is to our salvation. And Jesus said to take His yoke upon ourselves and to learn from Him, to learn of Him. And that simply means to do life with Him, do life together step by step with Him. We've also said that discipleship is Father's way of bringing His children to the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship is Father's way of bringing His children to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says that Father God desires for everybody to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a lot of people who've been born again and have become God's children, but have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. They stopped at the doorway. Jesus is the doorway in to a relationship with the Father, the doorway into the kingdom of God. And a lot of people you know, have come to the door maybe stepped across the threshold, but they haven't progressed much further from there. So discipleship is Father's way of bringing His children to the knowledge of the truth. The next thing we've said is that discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I like to say it this way, you became something the day you were born again that you were not before. Most people know more about the person they were than the person they became, and because we're more familiar with the person we were than the person we became, we tend to still live like the person we were instead of this new creation that we became in Christ Jesus. And so discipleship is, is about finding out who you became. I love to say it this way. Discipleship in these classes, it's not about becoming something you're not. It's about discovering what's true about you that you don't yet understand or have not yet come to the realization of. All right? The next thing that we've talked again extensively about, almost a, almost a full class, we talked about discipleship as an uncommon commitment. Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Um, when we, we looked at the four levels of commitment. We said that there's the commitment that we see in the Scriptures that is a believer, the commitment level of a follower, the commitment level of a disciple, and then the commitment level of someone who is, according to the biblical definition of the word, a Christian. Now, in the church world today, we tend to use these words interchangeably. Oh, well, yeah, she's a believer. Oh, yeah, he's a Christian. Oh, yeah, she's a follower of Christ. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but if we look at how Jesus used these words, and, and we, we did this again, we took the better part of a class to do this, we see that these represented different levels of commitment. There were people who believed in Jesus but didn't want to take it any further to actually go out to where He was teaching and learn from Him. There were people who made the commitment to actually follow him out to a place and listen to him teach, but didn't want to take the next commitment to continue in his word and be a disciple. And then we see that the ultimate fulfillment of discipleship is where Jesus himself has been uh, reproduced in us. And we see that they were first called Christians at Antioch because they had become so much like Jesus that um, people literally were saying that to make fun of them. But, but Jesus had become so much a part of who they were and how they lived their lives that they were literally representing Him to 
the world. Now, I want to I go back for a minute, and if I could, and I know we're backtracking here, but I was meditating on this some this week, and this word believer, and you know, sometimes the most simple answers are some of the most you know, <laughs> difficult ones sometimes to, to, to see. Uh, I don't know about you, but I tend to way overthink things. And so we see this word in John 8, and I'll put it up on the screen, 8, 31 and 32. Uh, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in My word, you're My disciples indeed, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, we know that this didn't have a happy ending, at least for these individuals. They rebelled against Jesus at this point. They're like, who do you think you are suggesting that we need to do anything else? Um, they did not want to continue in His Word. They did not want to become His disciples. In other words, they weren't willing to make that commitment. And yet we see here that they believed Him. And we looked at another verse, I won't turn there, but in John 2, after Jesus' Jesus's first miracle, the Bible also says that after the miracles in Cana of Galilee, there was another group of people who believed in Jesus, who believed Him. And yet Jesus did not commit Himself to those people because the Bible says He knew what was in them and He didn't need anybody to tell Him what was in them. In other words, He knew that they were not willing to make the commitment that needed to be made in order to be His disciples. And so yet again, it says here that these men and women were also believers. And you know, for years I'm like, well, Father, if they're believers, but here's the mistake that I was making, okay? Um, it's not that they didn't believe, but it's that they believed very little. Let, let, me, let me try to see if I can say it again, and I, I can't believe I'm going back here tonight to try to make better sense of this. But I feel led to do it, so let's, let's try to go there together. And let's do it by looking at our own lives, alright? Uh, how, how, how about if we take it this way? Jesus, um, walking along one day with His inner circle, He looks at them and He says, um, what's the word on the street about Me? Now that's kind of the, you know, my version of this. He, he literally said, who do men say that I am? In, in other words, what are people saying about Me? And, and you know, they said, well, some people are you know, saying that you're a prophet and other people saying that you're a teacher and other people saying this. But then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's one of the most important questions you can ever ask for yourself. Who do you say that He is? Or, or let me say it another way. What do you believe about Him? It's, when, when it says they believed Him, it, it doesn't mean that they didn't believe. It just means that they didn't believe all there was to believe about Him. It doesn't mean they believed He was the only begotten Son of God. It does not mean that they believed He was their Messiah. It does not mean that, he believes, that they believed that He was their healer or their deliverer, much less their Lord. Uh, so, when we talk about believing in Jesus, we're talking about a, a, a spectrum. In other words, if you don't believe a man named Jesus existed, then you're just in complete denial. Uh, it absolutely, positively, uh, a man named Jesus lived on planet Earth. Time counted up to his birth and started over after he was born. So there's absolutely Jesus. So somebody can believe that, that, that Jesus was here on the earth, but not believe that He was the Son of God, not believe that He's their Messiah, not believe that He's their Savior. There's people who believe that He's their Savior, but they don't believe He's the one who baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. Or there are people who believe that He's their Savior, but they don't believe that, that um, He's their healer. So, when we talk about believing in Jesus, there's, there's a lot to believe about Him. 
And we can only believe to the extent of our understanding. We've been in a sermon series on, on Wednesday night, Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. Well, if you understand very little about Jesus, how can you believe that He will set you free if nobody's ever explained to you that Jesus came to set the captives free? So there's these different levels. So obviously, as you follow Jesus, as you learn more about Him, your faith in Him grows and develops. You know more about Him, so you have um, more and more opportunities to uh, believe on Him. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. All right. Now, the next thing, and, and this is one of my favorite parts, and, and, and we will develop this in, in much greater detail uh, in the days ahead, but discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. It's a process intended to reveal Christ in us. So, the day you were born again, Jesus came to live on the inside of you. And if you've been born again, He's in you. But just because He's in you, that doesn't mean that people can, can see Him on the outside of you. Amen. And so, this is why you know, Paul worked among people that he had won to the Lord to help uh, disciple them. I like to say it this way. Until the inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life. Until everything that's become true about you inwardly becomes obvious uh, outwardly. Th this is what discipleship is, uh, is about. It's, it's one thing to be made free. It's another thing altogether to experience and enjoy freedom. It's one thing to be made righteous. It's another thing altogether to experience and enjoy righteousness. It's one thing to be made uh, prosperous. But it's another thing altogether to experience and enjoy your prosperity. So the inward reality is freedom. The inward reality is righteousness. The inward reality is prosperity. But now discipleship is about that inward reality becoming an outward expression of life. Oh, praise God. That, I'm telling you, man, there's, the Holy Spirit's breathing on that right now. And I, I hope that you know, I'm not going too fast for you. Again, all this is review. We've covered these things uh, already. And so I'm trying to uh, just remind you, water some things that we've already planted, help them grow, help them to become uh, solidified uh, in, in your heart and mind. Um, that, this is what we mean when we say discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. It's about the renewing of the mind. It's about, it's about your mind coming into agreement with the work that Jesus has already completed inside of you. Now, this is where we ended last week. We said that discipleship, it's a lot of things. And one of the key things that discipleship is, is that discipleship is an attitude. Discipleship is an attitude. Um, I don't know if we've got any uh, uh, Marine Corps, uh, uh, I call them Marines. My dad's a Marine. Amen. Um, once Marine, always Marine is the way I look at it. And the Marine Corps has a saying. They call it the, the, the Spirit of Corps. And it's the Spirit of the Corps. And the idea behind the Spirit of the Corps, it's, it's the way a Marine carries himself or herself. It, it, it's, it's an attitude that they have. Um, it's one of service. I was watching on a, one of the channels the other day. Um, uh, a, uh, I don't know if he was a Marine or not. I think he was a Marine, but this is true about other members of the armed services as well. So polite, so respectful, yet so confident. Uh, yes, sir, and all the answers that they gave. Um, and so, again, this is what we mean by an attitude. So we said that Every uh, born-again believer has the aptitude for discipleship, but not necessarily the attitude for discipleship. What do we mean by aptitude? Aptitude is, is the ability. 
It's the potential that you have, um, the inherent ability uh, to, to, to do a certain thing. Uh, and I use this simple example. You could have the aptitude to be a straight-A student, but that doesn't mean you're going to make straight A's if you don't have the right attitude to be a straight-A student. You follow what I'm saying here? You, you could have the intelligence uh, to, to make straight A's, but you, you may have an attitude that, that earns you uh, B's and C's or C's and D's on your report card. So every born-again believer has the aptitude to be a disciple, but not necessarily the attitude. Now, let's do this. Let's go to um, a few verses. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk to you a little bit about this mindset or this attitude of, uh, of discipleship. The mindset or the attitude of discipleship. And uh, I'm going to try to just hit some of these verses rather quick-like uh, and not try to teach on them extensively. But I want you to see from several different places. As a matter of fact, we'll look at least two from the New Testament and two from the Old Testament where we see in our, in our own lives from the Word of God the importance of our attitude. I don't know if I said this last week or not because I know somewhere right around in here we shut it down last week. But the first point of Jesus' first sermon, His first public sermon, the very first thing that He talked about was attitude. And when you consider how long the world had been waiting for Jesus, the Son of God, to come here in the flesh, it was something that had already been planned before Adam and Eve in the garden. It was something that Father God spoke to in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, that He said that, that one day seed would come from a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Father God prophesying that there would come a day when Jesus, His Son, would come to this earth as a human being. And so we waited all those millennia. Then Jesus finally arrives, and because He was born under the law, we now are waiting 30 years for Him to begin an earthly ministry. He can't just you know, start when He's a kid. He's, he, the law says... You've got to be a certain age before you can minister publicly. And so now we're waiting three more decades. And so finally Jesus, He's baptized in water, He's baptized in the Spirit, He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for you and me as a substitute for us. And then the Bible says He returns in the power of the Spirit. Okay? And, and it's on now. He, he, he is about to change the world in three short years. And so he finally opens his mouth and speaks. And when you, when you think about the importance of what is about to come out of his mouth, when you think about all the things God living among us could and should and would want to say to us, what does it tell you then about the importance of attitude when this was the first thing Jesus addressed? This was the first thing that he talked about was our attitude. That tells me it's very, very important. Because if our attitude is wrong we will miss everything that God wants to do in our lives. If our attitude towards Him is off, we will sail right past Him and never even know all that He came to do for us and all that He came to give us. Jesus, let, let me give you an example of this. Jesus has a conversation with a, with a woman uh, at a well one day. That's, we, this is often referred to as the woman at the well. And we know that this 
sister had, had struggled. We know that she had had multiple marriages. We know that she was living you know, with a man at this point in, in her history that she was not married to. And yet Jesus is there showing her love, showing her kindness, and ministering to her. And He begins a conversation with her by asking her for a drink of water. And, and she is a you know, feisty uh, little lady. And, and, and she says, you know, who, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water. In other words, who, you know, who do you think you are asking me for, for something? You know? and, and Jesus says these words to her. Don't miss this. Jesus says these words to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for water, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you water that would cause you to never be thirsty again in your life. Right? So listen very carefully to what he said though. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's asking you. But obviously, she thought he was another stranger. I, I know this is a bit of a stretch. You don't have to believe this to go to heaven. But I believe because of her reputation, she probably got hit on a lot. And so here's a guy, some, you know, this wasn't the typical place for men to be uh, in the middle of the day. Women came to the well in the morning. I assume she was coming later in the day because of her reputation, trying to uh, isolate and avoid maybe some of the conflict, some of the condescending stares that would come from, from some, some of her neighbors and things of this nature. And, and then because he was a man and she was a woman, they didn't, men and women didn't have just random conversations like that. There's still places in the world today where they, where they do not. But then, to compound it even further, she was a Samaritan woman and he was a Jewish man. So to say that Jesus was breaking and violating all these social norms, crossing all these uh, you know, social boundaries, He was doing that on this day. And so she's like, you know, who do you think you are? Kind of comes back to Him with, um, you know I'm going to say it right, with an attitude. Uh, and Jesus says, listen, if you only knew who it was that's, that's asking you and, and what I've come to do for you, then you would be asking me. And so let's go back then. His first point of his first sermon was attitude because Jesus knew that if people did not have the right attitude towards Him, they would never know the gift that He had for them. They would never receive the gift that, they had, that He had for them. They would never benefit from all that He had come to this earth to do uh, on, on their behalf. So we can never overestimate the importance of our attitude in general, but especially when it comes to our attitude towards God and towards the things of God. I, I believe this, that our attitude towards Him has everything to do with our ability to hear from Him, to receive from Him. Your attitude towards the Word of God has everything to do with whether or not you will understand or get anything out of the Word of God. Um, you, know, you, you have to, you know, back to discipleship as a commitment, you have to commit yourself to it even if, if it's something that you don't understand. If you wait until you understand everything there is to understand about God, to trust Him or to, or to make a commitment to Him, then you're never going to trust Him and you're never going to make a commitment to Him. It, it, it just simply doesn't uh, work that way. Alright, so listen to some of these verses, and I'll go through them kind of quickly here. I'm, I'm more interested in you getting the overall uh, feel and concept of this than a word-by-word -word study. So Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Colossians 3 and 2, I'll give you a moment to turn there. I think I already mentioned that one, so maybe you're already there. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. So the, the word set is speaking of a deliberate, intentional action. 
in other words, this is not something that happens randomly. It's, it's something that you do on purpose. Uh, you know, where, where you like, okay, I'm going to divert my mind away from all kinds of other things and I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, let's go to Matthew 6.22. This is another good one. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Your whole body will be full of light. Now, one translation says, if your eye be single. And so without, again, trying to dig into all these different Greek words and original language and meaning, Jesus is talking about having a singular focus here. If, if, your, eye is, um, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. He goes on to say that if, you're, if your eye is, is bad or evil, different translations, but if you, go to the original lang- if you go into the original language, he's talking about double vision. He's talking about a fragmented focus. He's talking about where we're focused on many things uh, instead of a singular focus on the things of God. So, the truth that we need for our lives can only be seen if we're willing to look to God with a singular focus. Are you following me? In other words, what I've learned in my own life is that the greater commitment we make to continuing in the Word of God, the more we see and understand and receive from the Word of God. So, but notice, what is, when we talk about the commitment that we make, we're talking about our attitude towards it. How about this one? Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 29. Deuteronomy 4 and 29. He says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul, you will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's go, and this pretty much says the same thing here. Jeremiah 29 and 13, And you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. You'll seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. So, the, the idea here is that when we're willing to look away from everything else and just look to God, it's, it's in that moment and with that attitude that our eyes are open to the things of God that we've been previously blinded to. It requires that kind of attitude or that kind of focus if, if we're truly going to, um, to see the things that Father God has for us to see. Now, I think when I mentioned this last class or class before last, I even said, I'll probably say this again. And so here we go, I'm going to say it again. This one is in John 6 and 68. And if, if I was only going to use one of these five verses to make this point, this, this would be the verse that, that I would go to. John chapter 6 and verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, when we were talking about those four levels of commitment, we looked at um, a situation in John the 6th chapter where Jesus talked about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And all of this was covenant terminology. Jesus wasn't literally talking about cutting off pieces of His body for them to eat. That's not what He was saying. He was talking about something uh, spiritual and having to do with covenant that perhaps we'll get into at a, at a later date. 
but there were a lot of people who had been very committed to Jesus who, who left Him, who turned away from Him. And the Bible says that they followed Him no more. Even folks who had made the commitment to be a disciple of Jesus's, they said, this, this is too much. And, and, the, and they left Him. And so later in the evening, Jesus is sitting around with His disciples and He asked them, He says, are you going to leave Me also? Are, are, are you going to, to, to walk away um, as, as well? And this is what Peter answers. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I'm, I'm asking you to pay close attention to the attitude here. What is Peter's attitude? Peter's attitude is, Jesus, there's nowhere else we can go to find the answers that you have. There is nobody else we can talk to that can explain to us the things that you're explaining to us. There, nobody else has um, this uh, truth uh, that you have. One translation says this, Lord, when you speak, something comes alive on the inside of me. Something comes alive on the inside of me. My prayer for every person that's a part of this class uh, right now and, and that will be watching it in the future is, is that as the Word of God is being spoken to you, as it's entering into your ears and your eyes, that something will come alive on the inside of you. That this would not just be information. That, this, that I would not be like Charlie Brown's teacher up here, just wah, 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 wah. You know, it's, it's just almost monotonous. No, 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 please hear me. This, these are the words of life. Amen. And my prayer is that, that, that you would receive them into your heart and that, that, that they would begin to stir and, 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 and change and turn and even churn things up uh, in, inside of you. Now, here is, the I call it a beautiful irony. The beautiful irony is that Peter and the other disciples did not understand Jesus' sermon that day any more than the people who didn't understand it and left Him. But again, notice the attitude. They didn't understand it, but they knew that Jesus had their answers. That Jesus knew things that they didn't know. Jesus had answers for them that they couldn't find anywhere else. And so, notice, they didn't understand it, but their attitude was, we don't understand what you're talking about, but we're not going anywhere until we do. We, <laughs> this didn't make sense to us either, but, but you know more than us, Jesus. You've got answers we don't have. And so I'm, I'm, I'm staying right here until I do understand it. So that's, this is what we mean by a discipleship. Discipleship is an attitude. Doesn't mean, discipleship doesn't mean you know everything. It means that you know the one who knows everything and you're committed to Him and to allow Him, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to teach you the things that you do not understand and that you need to know. Amen? I sometimes tell the different classes that I teach, and, and um, I have the opportunity to teach uh, quite a few classes. I'm very thankful for those opportunities. But one of the reasons why we do discipleship, uh, let's say I teach a, a group on Monday mornings for 45 minutes. There's no way that I can teach them in 45 minutes everything that they need to know to live their best life. Just, it, you know, 45 minutes, even if it's 45 minutes a week, even on, on a Sunday morning, if it's a 50-minute if it's a 50, 50 sermon on a Sunday morning, I'm so thankful to have that opportunity to speak into your life. But there is so much that we need to, to learn and know and understand. And so that's why we've packaged it in this set of classes. And, and now going you know, for the 18th year in a row, adding to it as we go, obviously. I've learned more you know, now than, uh, than I did 17, 18 years ago. But 
nonetheless, this is, this is what we're doing. And, I, you know, I, I had somebody tell me in a class uh, not too long ago, it's like, you know, Pastor Mark, you, you know, you, I, don't, I don't understand what you're saying. I, you're, you're talking over our heads and I think over most people's heads in the room. Well, I hope that wasn't the case and I appreciate the feedback so I could maybe step back and explain in greater detail the things that we were talking about on that day. But I also made this statement, right? Um, <clears throat> watching an excerpt from an Andy Griffith show and talking about, you know, telling the truth, we, we need more than that. Come on now. We, we need more than, uh, you know, some lesson in, in, in kindness. I'm not telling you you shouldn't be kind. You should be kind. We knew to be kind when we were children. It's, it's time to, 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 to progress from uh, the milk of the Word in, into the meat of the Word so that we can uh, grow and put on some spiritual muscle. Amen? Alright. Now, the next... And this, this, is, uh, this point is, is going to be a transition point. In other words, the, the title for tonight is Introduction to Discipleship Part 4, but then there's a secondary title um, and, and you know, dealing with the work of the ministry and, and so here's where we're going to transition into uh, the uh, next section of our classes together. And so this is the statement. Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. So it's a bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Now, we talked about purpose and God-given destiny a little bit in class one. I don't normally do that in class one, but I felt led to do that, and so we did. So, let me just comment briefly on it again here, and perhaps as we work our way through this point, we will review some of that. But the Bible is very clear that God has a purpose for every person's life. We all know this instinctively. We, we, when people have a close brush with death, they normally come out of that experience saying something like, there must be a reason for me to still be here. In other words, we, we all have within us this onboard understanding that there has to be some greater purpose or meaning for our lives. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so every person, every human being, has a God-given destiny that can never be fulfilled apart from a relationship with God. You can never, ever do what God puts you on this earth to do without Him, without God. He, he designed it that way. He created you that way. We, we all have uh, a dependence upon God and the more we try to live our lives independently of God, you're separated from Him, notice the more dependent we become on other things, on other people. The less dependent we try to live on God, the more dependent we become on ourselves, on other people, on money, on substances, so forth and so on. So when we talk about discipleship, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. 
You can never fulfill your God-given destiny until you're born again, until you receive salvation. But there are a lot of people who've received salvation that have made little to zero progress in the fulfillment of their God-given destiny. Now, when we talk about our God-given destiny, we're talking about the sweet spot of life now. You know, when you're doing what you're on this earth to do uh, with the people you're supposed to be doing it with, living the life that God created you to live, it is what the Bible calls joy unspeakable and full of glory. It, it, is, it is finally the life that some people only dream of. And yet that life is available uh, for every person uh, you know, to, to live, not one day when we get to heaven, but on this side of heaven. So how do we get from entering through the doorway of salvation over into the fulfillment of our God-given purpose and destiny? Discipleship is the bridge that carries us across that gap. Discipleship is the bridge that carries us across that gap. Now, let's, um, praise God, let's, let's look a little bit at uh, the ministry of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Praise God. All right, Matthew 9 and 35. So I'm trying to soften a little bit that hard right-hand turn we just took. We just took a hard turn. So, But we're going to build on what we've covered about discipleship. But we're shifting gears now. Okay, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, notice who he said this to, to the disciples, not to the believers, not to the followers, but to the disciples. What's the difference between a a believer, a follower, and a disciple. It's the level of commitment that those different men and women are willing to make. So he says to these men and women that, um, that have you know, made a commitment uh, to him, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want you to try to picture what's going on here. Jesus is ministering to all these people. He's helping all these people. He's bringing physical healing to people who are sick, people who are um, blind, people who have leprosy, people who have all types of of ailments and conditions. In In a day and time where Medical science is in its infancy and it's very limited in what it can do, very limited in its availability. And for instance, we, we know one glimpse into a woman who uh, was, was bleeding and had, had bled for many years and couldn't stop it, that she had not only spent all of her money on doctors, but that she had suffered uh, from the treatments. In other words, the treatments not only didn't cure her 
ailment, but they actually brought her more pain and suffering, the things that they tried to do. Listen, I'm thankful for doctors. Don't misunderstand me. But there's a reason why they call it a practice, right? They're, they're practicing. And so thankfully, you know, all those folks that they practiced on hundreds of years ago, we benefit from that. But this lady was practiced on and suffered, and they couldn't help her. So now Jesus is bringing answers to people, all kinds of answers to people, Demon-possessed people, for example, are being set free. People who are bound by all types of, of sin and, 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 and addiction and, and you know, things that they've gotten caught up in that they can't break free from. He's, he's bringing freedom to them. He's bringing forgiveness to them. And the crowds are, are growing uh, and increasing. And Jesus, at this point, He's just one man, one human being. And so... On this particular day, notice it says that He's ministering to all these people, healing sick people. But, but verse 36, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So what, what is the answer here? The answer is we need some help. The, the answer is Jesus asks the disciples, the ones who are closest to Him, not just if they will help, but that if they would pray with Him for a lot more helpers. A lot more helpers. Now, I want you to, I want you to stop here for just a moment. And, and because ultimately, where we're going with this, and I, I make no apologies, I'm not trying to sneak up on you, okay? Ultimately, where we're going with this is that Jesus wants to use you in some area of ministry uh, here uh, in the 21st century on planet Earth. In other words, I will show you in Scripture, and that's kind of what we're starting to do line upon line, is that this is not just something for Jesus to do, but it's something that Jesus wanted to teach and train other people on how to do. Anything... Anything that God does for you or in you, He ultimately wants to do through you. Amen. I want you to, th I want you to think about that for a moment, okay? Um, so you know the Lord. You've been born again. He now wants to use you to share that gospel message with somebody else so that they can be born again. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants you now to use you to lay your hands on somebody else to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've been set free. He wants to use you as an instrument in His hands to see other people set free. This is the plan of God. This is the, this is the will of God. This is the purposes of God. Notice when Jesus is dealing with this overwhelming situation, so many people needing help, and His ability to only help so many at a time, and He looks at His disciples and He says, guys, you're going to have to pray because I need some help. The, 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 the people who are who are in need are so many compared to the one person who's trying to help them all. Compare that to what Jesus did not say. In other words, you almost expect the way people think about these things today, you almost expect it to read something like this, guys, the harvest is plentiful. You need to pray for me that I can keep on ministering to all these people because after all, I'm the only one that can do it. But that's not what He said. He wasn't pray for me because I'm the only one that can help them and I'm just one guy. No. 
He's like, there's a lot of people that need help, and so we need more people to help them. So the more people that you have doing any job, what's the, what's the saying? Many hands makes light work. Um, I know just in setting up this room, you know, if there's four or five people to do it, we can do it really quick. If there's one person, it takes a while. Those kinds of things. It, it just, it's, it's very simple to understand that the more people you have helping to accomplish a task, the more that's going to be accomplished. So, now, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. I, I will say this. I don't believe it's a coincidence that when they started praying about somebody to help Jesus, that they became the answer to that prayer. Does that make sense? They're, they're praying for somebody to help, and next thing you know, they become the ones that are helping. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, so just drop down there, not that many verses, Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1. And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Wow. So, now we've gone from Jesus doing this to the disciples have been empowered by God to go and do these things. And of course, if we were to keep reading and looking at other Gospel accounts, we see that they went and, and were very successful in, in what they did. I want you to go now to Luke, the 10th chapter. So, we're going from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. So, Luke 10 and 1. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Praise God. For those of you who are, are watching online, if you're hearing a little bit of a hum in the background, we're having uh, AC issues uh, in the classroom here today. And so, we've got a fan set up. And um, anyway, that's the... If you, it's not an airplane. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fan. So, praise God. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1. All right, let's look at it. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. All right? Now, I think this is important for a lot of reasons. First of all, we see that Jesus is looking to expand. He's not just trying to keep it within a small confined group. He's certainly not just trying to keep this all to Himself. He commissioned His inner circle of twelve, gave them power to go and heal the sick and cast out devils, preach the Gospel, the good news of the Kingdom. We see that they go and do that and have tremendous success. After these things, He calls 70 others to Himself. And this time He sends them out in pairs of two. He sent the twelve out in pairs of two. So six pairs of two. Six times two is twelve. Now He's sending out 35 pairs of two. 70 divided by two, 35. 35 pairs of two. He's sending them out to do the same thing. Heal the sick, cast out devils, declare that the kingdom of God is 
at hand. Let's go now chapter 10, verse number 17. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. Then the 70... Let me put that up on the screen for you. Here we go. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in Your sight. Now, we've got a few things to talk about here. But before I go any further, and I sometimes sense this when I get to this point, and it's kind of back to what I had mentioned earlier about the comment that I received in, in class not too long ago. It's like, hold, hold, hold on just a second. Pastor Mark, you, you lost us somewhere back about unclean spirits and casting out demons and, and all those other things. Well, oh, praise God. My, uh, my brother Matthew, he said something the other day he said that the standard in our world today that keeps getting lowered and then lowered again and then lowered again, he said the standard has become so low now that they've dug a trench and they've recessed the bar into the ground so that people won't trip over the standard. Okay? And I'm asking you as we go through these things, to not have a closed mind about these things. First of all, I want you to notice that this is not something that I'm making up, but we find it right here in the Scriptures. There is a large portion of the body of Christ today who says that miracles ended with the twelve apostles. That when the last apostle died, that miracles and casting out demons and all these other things uh, died with them. Well, that is such a lame argument that someone who knows the Bible I'm sorry if you believe that. I'm not trying to offend you or make fun of you. But here we plainly have 70 other people that went out at Jesus' command and ministered in this way. Ministered in these supernatural things. Somebody said that living for Jesus is boring. You're not doing it right. Just telling you, you're not doing it right. 
the life that He has for us to live is so far above and beyond um, what sadly so many folks have been told it's all about. And the, and, the, and the devil has tried your whole life to make you think that, that you, you can't even um, you know, break free from these things yourself, so how are you ever going to do it for somebody else? But see, that's, that's part of his deception. It's, it's when you're willing to get outside of yourself and quit being so focused on, on what's in it for me and what can I get out of it, and you start considering what you can do for somebody else and, and how you can help them, th- this is when um, the power of God begins to really develop in your life. Let me, let me remind you um, that when it comes to physical growth and development, you can only grow and develop so far um, without ever doing something for somebody else. In other words, your physical development, your physical growth and maturity, it's, it's only going to go so far as long as you're only doing for you. you know, when I, I have uh, uh, a dear friend who um, recently adopted a child, and, and he talks about, and I've seen it, you know, how much he has matured and, and, and grown and developed. Because, see, now it's not just about him and what he wants or what he needs. See, now it's about somebody else. So, when we start talking about discipleship and its connection with representing Jesus to others both in life and ministry as the end goal of discipleship, we're not just trying to recruit somebody uh, to sweep the parking lot. We're talking about doing the works that Jesus did. Now, I want to show you something here, and, and this is, I think, one of the, I guess, main points that I want us to take away before we move on from this passage. And we find it in verse 21. Well, let me, let, praise God. Let's do this. In verse 21, it says, In that hour, do you see this? I put it up on the screen. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Your sight. What does He mean by hidden them from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes? These are not the religion PhDs that are doing these things. These are not the religious leaders in all their garb and pomp and circumstance that that would pray the loud, eloquent prayers you know, in the synagogues. These are commoners. These are, these are, some of these folks probably couldn't read and write. Are you understand what I'm saying? These are not the highly educated, the highly skilled and gifted and talented and all these other folks. These are people, these are, these are farmers and, and, and businessmen and women. Folks, just like the ones that are watching this class right now, they're listening to this class right now, that, that were used in this way by Jesus. And so in verse 21, it says, in, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Now, this seems kind of, I don't know, if you just read over this without knowing what the word means, it, it loses a lot of its impact. 
the word uh, or the phrase rejoiced in spirit that we find in verse 21, this is what it means. Are you ready? It means that he danced, that he jumped in the air and spun around. <laughs> wow. That Jesus danced. He's expressing excitement here. He's expressing joy here. He, he, he is um, excited about this. Um, I, I, I envision it as, you know, we, like what we would think of, you know, high fives all around. The, these people came back rejoicing. These people came back excited. These people came back like, Shazam, Jesus. We cast out the devil over here. And then there was this sick lady in this one town. And then there was this blind guy over here. All these stories and reports that they're telling Jesus about how God used them to minister uh, you know, life and healing uh, to all these folks that they went and ministered to. And then they come back and they, and they give this report to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus danced. He jumped up. Jesus got ups, right? He jumped up in the air and spun around. Okay? Why is He so excited? Think about this for a moment. Why, why is Jesus so fired up about this? Why is He so just, just you know, expressing joy at, in, in levels that we don't even often associate with Him? You see, it's one thing for Jesus to cast out a demon. It's one thing for Jesus to minister healing to somebody who's sick. It's another thing for one of His apostles to do it. But now, we've got 70 disciples of Jesus who have been trained by Him that have now been unleashed, if you will, on the kingdoms of darkness to go forth and minister these things to the world. They said something like this to Jesus. They said, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, let me put these verses back on the screen. Verses 17 and 18. The seventy returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What's the point? What's the point? Are you ready? Here's the point. Jesus is like, you're all excited about a devil subject to you. Devils are supposed to be subject to you. They're, they're all fired up and excited about demons being subject to them in Jesus' name when demons have always supposed to have been subject to them. They just didn't know that. They didn't understand that. They had fallen for the lies of the devil that somehow they're at the mercy of the devil when God never intended for us to be at the mercy of the devil. He meant for the devil to be at your mercy, not for you to be at his. I, I use this kind of... It's a little bit silly, but maybe it'll help you uh, fully understand it, okay? Um, college football is getting fired back up and... Uh, back in the day, I'm, I'm uh, old enough to, to remember the days of Coach Paul Bear Bryant when he was at the University of Alabama. And this wasn't just a, a way that he uh, 
handle things, but he was, he was real big on what he called class. Not just to win, but to win with class. To, 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 to have class as, as, a, as, a, as a player. And so if, um, if one of his uh, players uh, scored a touchdown and, and you know, cut a fool, if you will, danced and carried on, celebrated in the end zone, uh, it, it may be a long time before that player ever saw the field again. Um, because he didn't consider that to be classy. Uh, he considered that to be poor sportsmanship and, and, and you know, ego and drawing attention to yourself and, and rubbing it in the face of, of, of your opponent. And so his uh, rules were, if you score the touchdown, to hand the ball back to the referee and come on over to the sideline. And he, and he said this, he said, you should act like you've been to the end zone before and that you will be back again soon. You should act like you've been to the end zone before and that you will be back again soon rather than, you know, doing all the chicken dances and all that stuff, you know. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't celebrate when we score a touchdown. It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate when we experience some victory uh, in our lives or in helping minister to somebody else. But they were all excited about devils being subject to them. And Jesus is basically saying, listen guys, you're kind of embarrassing yourself here because they've always been subject to you. Even if you think about it, when Cain, back in the book of Genesis, Cain is is being tempted to to snuff out his brother Abel because Abel's making him look bad is, is the way Cain thought of this. And, and God spoke to him and he said, sin's at the door, but you should rule over not it, but him. You should rule over him. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? See, when Jesus comes along, people's mindsets and attitudes had become such as, you know, the, the devil's the boogeyman and we can't do nothing about him and all this other stuff. When the reality is, he was always supposed to be under your feet and under my feet. All right? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 4. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Alright. If I'm talking over your head, I'm not. It just feels that way. Okay? It just feels that way. It just feels that way. Hallelujah. You see, part of, part of what discipleship is about is it's about a demand being placed on your potential. And the devil would love for us to splash around in ankle-deep water for the rest of our lives talking about one of these days we're going to be this and one of these days we're going to be that. And that's really not what discipleship is. Discipleship is about taking a plunge. It's about this uncommon commitment. It's about just going all in. And, and I know that you, know, you hear these kinds of things and you think, well, you know, I've, I've never heard that. I don't know about that, this and, and these kinds of things. Well, Again, that's why I'm asking you, don't just close off. Don't just shut down, but allow these things. Because this is, this is what I know. This is what I know. I know this about you because I know this about me. Right? When we see somebody suffering, we want to help them. When we see a child that can't walk, we, we want to do something to try to help that child. When, when, we, when we see someone that's uh, in, in grief and agony and misery, there's something in us. And, and, and you say, well, Pastor Mark, not me. Well, at some point, yes, it was in you. 
And, and I just pray that your heart becomes softened again to these things. You see, there's something in us that, and, and when it says Jesus was moved with compassion, that's, that's speaking of something guttural on the, on the inside of Him. Something on the inside of Him was compelling Him to do something about the problems that were in people's lives. Something on the inside of Him was, was compelling Him to not just turn away from it and go do His own thing, but to figure out what He could do to help these people. And then how He could get other people involved in helping those people. And then even more people involved in helping those people. So when we say discipleship is a bridge that carries you from salvation to the fulfillment of your purpose and destiny in Christ Jesus, I told you that it takes a disciple to make a disciple. So much of what God wants to do in and through your life, it of course, as we've said already, begins with showing up, but it's not about His willingness to to need you or use you. It's about our willingness to become equipped so that we can be used by God to do these things. Now, I'm going to make a statement before we look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we're going to start. But I'm going to make a statement that you're going to hear me make uh, many times. Okay, And it's so important that we come to this conclusion. And here's the statement. Okay, Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. I'll explain this to you as I work my way through these next set of verses. But there is a misunderstanding that has worked its way into a large portion of the body of Christ that goes something like this. Ministry is the job of the pastor. Ministry is the job of the missionary or the evangelist. In other words, the belief is that the work of the ministry is supposed to be done by people who are on staff at the church, so to speak. But that is not what the Bible teaches us at all. So again, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Let me, t- let me tell you what I know from experience in my own life. Are you ready for this? When we are not doing what God called and created us to do, we will backslide. I'm just telling you. We will backslide. We will become bored. We we will become disinterested. I mean, there's so many different examples in the Bible that I could give you. David's greatest mistakes and failures involved a woman named Bathsheba. If you remember, he looked out and saw her bathing and lusted after her in his heart. He had um, a sexual affair with her. She became pregnant. 
He tried to trick her husband who was fighting for his country. Tried to trick her husband into um, coming home and, and having furlough and, and so that when she gave birth to the child, everybody would think that she conceived when her husband came home from battle, but her husband was so loyal to his fellow soldiers and to his country that he said, how could I go and, and, and lay with my wife when my brothers are on the battlefield? So he wouldn't even go home. And so David had sent word by him of all things. A, a, a sealed letter to the commander. He carried the orders that commissioned his own death for him to be put in the hottest part of the battle and then for the men to back away from him so that the enemy would kill him. Again, when I say this is one of the greatest areas of failures and mistakes and all these things that David made. But does anybody know where David was supposed to be? He was supposed to be on the battlefield. When kings go out to war, what does the Bible say about David? He decided to stay home. So notice, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't leading the way that he was supposed to be leading. He, he wasn't engaged in what it is that he was supposed to be engaged in. And, and this created this opportunity for him to backslide. I, um, I talk about this in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction. And when we look at the nation of Israel and how Egypt felt threatened by them because the hand of God was upon them, and so, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, in an effort to try to diminish and control God's people, he enslaved them. Not because they weren't gifted, not because they didn't have anything to offer or contribute, but because he felt threatened by them. He felt threatened by them. So if you're watching this tonight and you're like, man, I heard discipleship class was about me you know, trying to get some victory over some struggles in my own life. I heard discipleship class was about me trying to you know, put some addictive behaviors behind me and, and, and grow spiritually and all this other stuff. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that we were going to be talking about all this ministry stuff. Well, see, what, what, what you don't understand is that the whole addiction odyssey in your life is not because you're so screwed up that, that you can't get anything right, it's because of your giftedness and the threat that you are to the powers of darkness and the devil's strategy to try to keep you from ever even hearing any of the things that have come out of my mouth during this class, much less showing any interest in these things or pursuing these things. So there's a, a very powerful connection between understanding and fulfilling your God-given purpose and destiny and overcoming some of the things that have held you back. Why is there a powerful connection? Because the things that have held you back have been holding you back from your God-given purpose and destiny. Are you, are you following me? They haven't just been holding you back from a happier life, holding you back from a better life. They've been holding you back from the life that God created you to live. All of these things are strategies and tactics of the, of the enemy to try to keep you 
from ever fulfilling your God-given purpose and destiny. You see, the day that you find out devils are supposed to be subject to you, the day that you find out that if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, the devil will run from you, you see, the day that you start figuring these things out and experiencing these things in your life reality, this is the day the devil's reign of terror in your life comes to an end. So he never wants you to know these things. He never wants you to understand these things. So every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse number 11. And He Himself, this is speaking of Jesus, Jesus Himself gave some, a key word here is some, not all. In other words, not everyone is an apostle, not everyone is a prophet, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So let's talk about this for a minute. You have five areas uh, or five offices that have been established by God. And God chooses men and women to, uh, to occupy those offices. Um, I've heard it said this way, it's the executive branch of God's kingdom. And He gifts and selects, He gave Himself some to be. Uh, different folks that, that are to serve in uh, one of these five offices. Some may start in one area and progress through. Brother Copeland is a classic example of this. He began as a teacher, um, but ultimately um, was set apart to the office of the prophet. He, he, he serves now in, in that office. Okay, So, Sometimes you hear these areas of ministry referred to as five-fold ministry. And it's called that because of the five different offices. Now, these offices were established by Jesus, and the men and women who occupy those offices have been set apart by God to serve in those offices. Okay? Are you with me so far? So, if I could just share a little bit about my story. I knew when I was very young, like five years old young, that I was called into serving in one of these areas. One of the ways I know that I was definitely called by God to do that is that I did not want to do it. I wanted to be a medical doctor, had no desire to be in the ministry, and it was something that I struggled with um, until I was 12 years old. I got born again when I was, I think, seven years old. And, um, but even then, when I was born again, I, I knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And, amen, I just, somebody says, how do you know? I, said, I don't know, I just knew. Amen, I just knew. Now, he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What did he give them to? Notice, what did he give them for? Notice teachers ends with a comma. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
Now, he covers a whole lot of other things that we're not going to get into now. The key thing I'm wanting you to see here is that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher have been set apart and called by God, gifted and equipped by God, to then in turn equip the rest of the body of Christ, other born-again believers, for the work of the ministry. So, my assignment is to help equip you for your assignment. It's not real complicated. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to really be deliberate here in the way that I present this because there is so much confusion surrounding these things in the body of Christ today. And no wonder the devil wants to lie to us in this way because the, the massive ministry force that is the body of Christ. So, so let, let's, let's look at it this way. Let, let's, say you, let's say you work for a large company and, um, and only 1% of the people who work for that company actually do any kind of work on a daily basis to you know, build and develop whatever the mission of that company actually is. Well, that company's not going to make a whole lot of progress. But that is the model that we have in the church today because so many who are in the ministry workforce of the body of Christ have been convinced that the work of the ministry is the pastor's job. The pastor's job is to equip the born-again believers to do the work of the ministry. Are you seeing this? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Comma. The next one, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This means to build up, to build the body of Christ. Edify means to build. To build the body of Christ. Is building the body of Christ only the pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher? No, no, that's, that's everybody's assignment in the body of Christ. Some of you aren't looking very excited about this. Amen. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now listen, I am, I am absolutely convinced that, that there are, matter of fact, there are pastors who are watching this right now. I, I know that because you communicate with me. There are teachers, people who occupy these different ministry offices who participate in, in these classes and that both humbles me and honors me. Uh, there are also a lot of people who are watching these classes, participating in these classes that are called into one of these areas of ministry, one of these five areas of ministry, but haven't really known, <laughs> like me, you wanted to do something else or you didn't really know how to make that next step or you feel like maybe some of you that too much water under the bridge, too much time has passed. No, no, listen. The gifts and callings of God, the Bible says, are without repentance. That means he, he'll, he'll never take them back. There are people listening to me right now. You were put in your mother's womb to preach the gospel, and you know it. 
You know it. You've ran from it. A whole lot of the misery that you've inflicted upon yourself has been as a result of you running from God and trying to get away from things and the hurts that, that you experienced, I'm speaking prophetically now, uh, early on in, in your efforts to try to live for God and, and, and pastors who hurt you and other church members who should have loved you and, and, and men of God who should have, or so-called men of God who should have taken you under their wing to, to, to mentor you and help you um, instead uh, disappointed you and in some cases even abused you. But the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And there are people who are watching me, listening to me right now. You are called to preach the gospel. You are a preacher. You've never preached a sermon. And you can live your whole life and die and go stand before God and you're still a preacher. Still a pastor. It's because, the, it's because He set you apart to that. Amen. Amen. So there is certainly um, that segment of men and women who are watching this right now that are called in one of these five areas. But then there are also a whole lot of other people who've never even considered that they've been called to do the work of the ministry, and yet that is exactly what it is that you have been called to do. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Let's go. We've got a few more minutes. Let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the living God with my email address on it because there are some folks that need to email me you need to talk to me about the call of God on your life and what you need to do about that okay amen so one more time mark m-a-r-k at h-c-c-n-o-w dot o-r-g so h-c-c stands for Heritage Christian Center now obviously uh, stands for right now so h-c-c now that's why if you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to participate in a church service, you can go to HCC right now, hccnow.org, and there's church services there that you can participate in, watch, be a part of, they're recorded. So my email address is markmark at hccnow.org, okay? And um, those of you that I'm speaking to uh, that are called into the ministry and you don't really know what you need to do next, I'd be happy to help you if you let me, okay? I'd be happy to help you if you let me. All right, Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. Okay, Luke chapter 4 verse 16. It says this, speaking of Jesus, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Then, uh, and rather, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. 
Now, why are we looking at this verse now? Thankfully, we are in between political seasons and still far removed from another presidential election. But when candidates run for office, they publish and or state something called their platform. So if a political candidate is running on a certain platform, what that means is their platform is what it is they're going to do if you elect them to that office. And so the different points are considered planks, like think of a board, a plank in their platform. What we find here in Luke 4, which Jesus actually read from the prophet Isaiah, is the ministry platform of Jesus. This, this is a list of the things that Jesus came to do on this earth. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. That's not just talking about people who are physically blind. It's talking about people who can't see the things of God, who are blinded to the truth of God, who are blinded to the ways and to the wisdom of God. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So you have two categories of people being set free. You've got the captives and those who are oppressed. Captives, these are, these are folks that think of someone came and, and captured them, like, like enslaved them, or those who are oppressed. Someone who is oppressed, the root word of this word oppressed is pressure, press. So he's talking about someone who has so much weight and baggage on them that they are in a state of oppression. So you have people who are suppressed, you have people who are depressed, you have people who are oppressed, and then you have people who are possessed by the devil. All of this is talking about different ways and even degrees to which the devil would um, you know, affect and impact a person's life. What the, the simple point that I'm trying to make is that this is what Jesus came to this earth to do. And this is what He wants us to go and do as well. The same things that... Let me ask you this. Are there still broken-hearted people on planet earth? <laughs> are there still people who are captive? They've, they've been captured by their sin. They've been captured by the enemy. They're enslaved to, to their own flesh and fleshly desires. Yes. Are there people who are blinded to the goodness of God and blinded to the things that God desires to do in their lives and family? Are there people who are being oppressed and bullied by the devil? Are there people who need uh, that acceptable year of the Lord is speaking of the year of Jubilee. 
This is where, you know, speaking of financial increase and prosperity and debts being canceled, and, 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 and yet Jesus again uh, came to proclaim that. Are there people who are struggling in all kinds of different uh, financial areas in their lives that, that need some type of breakthrough and some type of uh, means by which they can uh, you know, not only support their families and survive, but, but also thrive? So the answer is yes. All of, all of the things that Jesus came to do and has done for so many people are still needing to be done in the lives of people in our day and age. And so this is the ministry platform of Jesus. And since every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, these are things that are for you and me to be doing as well. And so that's the, um, that's the simple point that, um, that we will end with tonight, okay? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had. And I know, Father, that we've just dove off headlong in some things, but sometimes that's just the best way to do it, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you're taking your word and your truth and you're stirring our hearts. You're awakening some things in people, Lord, that have uh, gone dormant or, or gone to sleep. Lord, you're, you're stirring us and challenging us and stretching us, uh, Lord, in ways that we need to be challenged and stirred and stretched. Father, I thank You that every person that's listening to me right now has uh, a purpose and a destiny in Your kingdom that was given to them before time began. And Father, I thank You that discipleship is such a key factor in our discovering that purpose and the bridge that carries us into the actual fulfillment of that purpose. Father, no matter how young we may be or how old we may be, what You've called us to do hasn't changed. What You've gifted us to do hasn't changed. And so Father, I thank You that we can't go back and redo opportunities that we no longer have but we can do something about today. We can do something about right now. We can, Father, go and sin no more, so to speak, and start from this night forward to pursue what You've called us and created us to do for You, in You, and through You. So Father, I thank You for Your hand upon all those who are watching this now. I thank You, Lord, that you are speaking to them individually. Because while there are a lot of things that we have in common, Lord, when it comes to ministry, there are also some very specific and unique things that may not apply to everybody, but, but do apply to somebody. And so, Lord, I thank You that Your Holy Spirit is sorting through those details in individual hearts now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.